Hello everybody, welcome to this new episode of Lateral Conversations. My name is Tom Amark. My guest today is Kim Barta. Kim Barta is an internationally renowned psychotherapist and he is also a spiritual coach. Kim uses, uh, for example, the stages model of mental development uh, in his theory, a model which was developed by his sister Terry of Felm. Uh, for those who might remember, I had a podcast with Terry a couple of weeks ago, so now I have the chance to talk to Kim about his line of work. This was a very, very fascinating and interesting podcast from beginning to the end. We were talking a lot about his work, uh, about other topics like uh, drug use and uh, shamanism as well, and how, how the spiritual way and the therapeutic way to so say at some point might converge. So check this out. Don't get annoyed uh, by the weird clicking sounds you might hear at the end of this podcast. I don't know actually what happens. We're living in an informational age. I have the best internet connection, but um, why these clicking sounds appear, I, I have no fucking clue. Other than that, I hope you will enjoy this podcast and you tune in next time. Uh, I wish you all the best and good luck with everything. <laughs> so, Kim, thank you very much again for doing this, for having this podcast. Yeah. Great to see you again. Nice to uh, see you too. Um, for our listeners, you are a psychotherapist. You're working uh, with the Stages model, which was developed by uh, your sister, Terry Felm. Mm -hmm. Or did, did you work with, with her on, on that model as well? Well, what happened here was that Terry was working at it from a theoretical perspective, mm -hmm. and I was working with clients uh, embedded in life, right? Okay. And what happened was one Christmas we got together, <clears throat> and she started talking about what she was doing. I started talking about what I was doing, mm -hmm. and 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 we realized that we are basically coming upon the same truths from two different angles. Mm -hmm. So Terry officially developed the stages model, mm -hmm. um, and uh, when she outlined what she had discovered. Mm. It's like the whole map of life opened up for me. I could see what I was doing, and, and a lot of our stuff had crossed over. So then I started taking her model okay. to accent what I had done and okay. bringing it back into my practice and finding so many ways to make it more efficient than I had already made it. Oh, okay. <clears throat> so w when was this? A couple of years ago? Oh, it's about four years ago to five years ago now. Mm. Yeah. Uh, okay. So we had already kind of co-developed the, the um, process model within stages where we move from uh, receptive to um, active to reciprocal to interpenetrative mm. or integrated, integral. Mm. And, and so that process had been a very central piece of the work that I do with clients. Mm. But Terry's stages model around that, the developmental model I've been using before was um, Erickson's and different things like mm. that, development, intellectual, cognitive development, mm. uh, psychosocial development. But Terry's um, opened up the whole world 
in into a much more powerful functional way. Okay, because you you had a map to 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 observe what is going on and to to organize your own thought of what was happening. Mm -hmm. Because what's happening with the stages model really is is Terry's Terry has uh, developed this model in a way that is different than than most developmental models. Mm. What happens with most developmental models is <clears throat> we interview you know hundreds of people and then we look at their responses and we kind of divide it up mm. uh, in different ways and then we, we see where those divisions are where they would logically be drawn mm. and, and so we can say we have this these basket categories right okay well what Terry discovered can you was, can you explain us elaborate a little bit what kind of baskets do you mean in, in that regard mm -hmm. sure so for normal developmental theory uh, most developmental theories, what we have is <clears throat> uh, we have uh, people that tend to make a lot of rules. Mm -hmm. So we put them in rule-oriented. And okay. there are people that, uh, you know, really about goals and achievements. We put them in an achiever category, mm -hmm. you know. Depends upon how their consciousness is focused at the time. What is it that really captures their mind? What are their responses on certain uh, sentence completion tests? How do they test out? Mm. <clears throat> what Terry did was she um, she she discovered the underlying consciousness drivers that actually define what makes those stages operate on. Mm. So just to clarify, it's like we. There's a series of developmental drivers, a series of consciousness drivers, how our consciousness works, mm. the building blocks of consciousness. And when we understand those building blocks, we can take them apart and put them back together okay. in different ways. And that's the different configurations that we use of those building blocks mm. actually define what the developmental stages are. Mm. So now that we understand the underlying developmental building blocks, the underlying consciousness building blocks, mm. we can actually go below the surface of just rule-oriented or achiever or uh, or the green meme mm -hmm. or the orange meme, and we can go to the underlying developmental consciousness drivers that actually make those themes arise, and we can work with those directly. It's so much more efficient and fundamental okay. to the way consciousness works okay and that's what's beautiful about Terry's model mm. can you um, like a, a with a hypothetical client you know elaborate how how this could work you know like a, imagine somebody who, who could fit this this way of approaching things yeah so uh, let's say that we're working um, with a person who's depressed mm. one person might uh, at each developmental level, we can actually get a completely different style of depression. Mm. If we look at standard psychotherapy, we just say they're depressed and there's maybe two or three categories of depression, mm. but they're based upon how long the depression has been mm. or how severe it is. But they're not based upon what would it be like to be a, a 2.0 or a rule-oriented mm. of depression versus an achiever 3.5 oriented mm. depression versus a 4.0 green meme mm. uh, 4.0 style of depression mm. once we understand that each developmental level can have a different style of depression based upon their development mm. now we can take a look at the underlying developmental drivers and see what's going on mm. sometimes what's going on is uh what we would normally do in psychotherapy is we would do a lot of listening. We'd understand, uh, we'd be listening for what's happening in their life mm. and how 
how life circumstances are unfolding for them. Mm. And it could get very complicated looking at all the different life circumstances, right? Mm. You know, what's their marriage like? What's their work like? What's their personal life like? What's their sexual life mm, like? What's their spiritual life like? How are all these complex different aspects of their life interacting in a way that might be leading to the depression? Mm. So it can get very big, very complex. Mm. In our but when we look at uh, a stages-oriented style, what we can do is we can start looking at what are the underlying functional mechanisms of consciousness mm. that are leading to this? Like, are they being overly passive mm. or overly assertive? Mm. Okay. Because so, I so can... what you're saying is like uh, on every stage, uh, mm -hmm. depression or anxiety or what, whatnot uh, will look differently and has to uh, uh, be approached differently. It has to be approached mm. differently. That's right. Mm. From, from the developmental stage of the mm. of person that they're operating in. Mm. That's right. I'm thinking of uh, one of the first books of Wilbur where he um, compiled um, for, for every stage a specific type of therapy, I guess, for, for this mm -hmm. achiever. He, he mentioned transactional analysis and, mm -hmm. and stuff like that. So you, you um, um, have like a kind of integral uh, therapeutic approach where you use all those techniques as well or do you have created something new, like a, a new yes. meta therapeutic approach. Both, right. Mm -hmm. Beautiful. You explained that very well. So what's happening is while we can take those ideas that Wilbur had and, mm -hmm. and others have explored how we put different different theories of, of healing, of psychotherapy fit mm -hmm. with different developmental stages. Mm -hmm. And it really does in a beautiful way. But there, there may be a little more broad range than just a specific stage. Mm -hmm. Mm. Um, you can use them across a variety of stages, so they more have a range rather than a specific one. But nonetheless, you know, things like cognitive restructuring, transactional analysis are very good for 3.5, mm. whereas STALT is really good for 4.0 and mm. things like that. So, yes, we can do that. But we also have created a, a new way of working with people that I don't think okay. has been done before. Mm. And what we can do is we can still utilize the psychotherapy tools, but we can use them on more underlying consciousness dynamics. Okay. One of the things that shamans, that if, when I did my work with shamanism, what I did was I studied shamanism from around the world. Mm. What I did with that was um, I started looking at what are the shamanistics elements that are consistent across oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Mm. time, right? Have you, have you read this Michael Hanna? Um, he, he has like this, uh, it's not an integral approach for shamanism, mm. but it's like he, he looked, as you told, like in different yes. uh, uh, regions of the, the earth and discovered the, the main or the basic techniques. Have you, have you read this book? Michael Harner is one of my major sources oh, for this. Okay. <laughs> so I worked with him and then I did addition, uh, not with him, but with his books yeah, yeah. and mm. with other books and, and and so those were key underlying dynamics that, under, that, go, that ride underneath the cultural element of shamanism, okay. right? Mm. So we have the cultural element, how it manifests, and then we have the underlying dynamic of what rides beneath the cultural blanket, as the shamans would mm. say. And I think that's what we've done with stages is we have the developmental blanket mm. that everybody's focused on, mm. but now what we've done is we've found the underlying 
dynamic, the, the underlying consciousness drivers that ride below the cultural blanket and below the developmental blanket okay. so that you can actually operate on a deeper level and that makes it more efficient more functional and more universal. Okay, interesting. So, so, so how d will this work? How can this work? You have like you assess the the developmental level of of a person with anxiety, for example, and then you apply specific shamanistic, for example, shamanistic techniques to to this. So. Could be shamanistic. It could be standard psychotherapy. Okay. It mm -hmm. could be a variety of things. Yes. Okay, but your therapeutic <laughs> approach is very much informed by shaman. Yes, it is, okay. as well as, as modern psychotherapy. Okay. My master was in, in shamanism as mm -hmm. a modern psychotherapeutic technique. Interesting. So I took all the value and power of modern psychotherapy, I melded it with the Michael Harner style of, mm -hmm. of the underlying dynamic of, of the shamanistic tools. I, I melded those together mm -hmm. into where all of these have similar elements together. Mm -hmm. Mm. And then I can use that to apply. That's level one. But now we have the stages model, which also does that beneath the developmental blanket. Okay. So now we have a double emphasis of power, and it makes things very efficient. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Wow. I'm thinking uh, uh, this is one of the things I, I like very much uh, about NLP because it, um, it's like a meta theory of, of, I don't know if you know an NLP with, from, from Bender and, yes. and, and, and Grinder, and they, they uh, use um, speech, speech patterns as well, mm -hmm. therapeutic, mm -hmm. to, to mm -hmm. assess the, um, to, to heal people. So does it inform you as well? Or NLP does inform me as well, um, but NLP is still a couple layers or a, a layer two up from Terry's model. Mm. Um, This, this underlies that even another layer. Mm. Um, and it is cross-cultural. It's been studied cross-culturally effectively. So we're looking to these underlying um, consciousness drivers, how the patterns are arranged. If you think about children who play with blocks, mm. they can take these blocks and stack them up, and then they can tear them all apart, and then they can build a completely different structure. Mm. They can tear them apart and build a completely different structure. Mm. Mostly what we're doing in psychotherapy is we're looking at the structure that somebody has built mm -hmm. and we're saying, hey, you know, maybe you should build that structure somewhere else or maybe you should do something a little different. But mm -hmm. they're not looking at the fundamental blocks mm -hmm. themselves. Okay. You know, we didn't have a tool for seeing that before. Okay. Now we have a tool for seeing those blocks and we can see if the block itself has damage to it, not if the overall structure has damage to it. Okay. Because if you build a structure with a damaged block, then then the structure itself isn't going to have the stability. Okay. Once once again, can you can you uh, make this more like a uh, like a like an example how how this could work out? Like uh, what um, how? So so we're looking at indiv uh, what part of it comes from. Well, it, it's derived from Ken Wilber's integral theory, mm. uh, the quadrants. Mm. And but some of it is is more discovered than that even. In other words, it's what Sean has called value added to the integral model. Okay. But what we have is we have the uh, individual and collective. That happens to be one of the primary drivers. Mm. So people are working with individual collective stuff all mm. the time. We're also looking at active and passive. We're also looking at uh, the uh, receptive, uh, agentive reciprocal and uh, integrated 
mm. matter. Mm. And we're also looking at the concrete, subtle, um, causal, and causal mm. or metaware tier and the unified or non-dual mm. tier. When okay. you take those fundamental building blocks mm. and you put them together in certain okay. ways, mm. that's what that we can actually define out the stages mm. of human development based upon the arrangement of those particular building blocks. Interesting. Mm. So now, for example, if you have an active building block that 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 isn't fully robust, it's been damaged because anytime I was tried to be active as a child, my father beat me, maybe, mm. and then. Um, then that active driver itself is damaged. Now, what we do a lot of times in psychotherapists, we go back and we try to do repair work with the father, or we try to talk about, you know, mm. shadow work with all that. Mm. But, and, that and it works. It's, it's wonderful work, mm. you know. I, I do that work all the time. It's lovely. Mm. But we can also go in and look at the actual driver. How did the driver get affected? What was the developmental stage of the driver, and how did that driver get impacted by that? Well, and now it can do work with the specific driver. Hmm. And that then transforms the entire life of the person okay. as opposed to, okay, I healed the father's shadow. Now I have to go heal the mother's shadow. Now I have hmm. to go heal the right? Because if we get the, act, the driver itself healing functionally, hmm. that generalizes to everything above the blanket. Hmm. Wow. I mean, I, I don't want to repeat myself, but how, how would this process look like, you know, to, 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 change, this, to, to change these building blocks and to facilitate those, those, mm -hmm. those processes? Well, that's probably a deeper conversation than we can have in a podcast, <laughs> right? Because <laughs> there's a lot to it and there's a lot of skills to be mm. used. Mm. But um, active drivers, uh, and this is my personal work, not necessarily Terry's, and it's combined with a lot of psychotherapy and some shamanic stuff that's all combined together, plus some stuff on my own. But active drivers, for example, I see go through uh, five developmental patterns themselves. Mm. Okay. And so, for example, um, we can see this, and a lot of it is in Erickson's work, actually, even. He's identified this, but he didn't know, he didn't call it that. Mm. But Uh, the first part is just having um, uh, autonomy that you do have the capacity to act on your own. Mm. Okay, and from there we need to have the initiative to be able to do that. Mm. So, and then from initiative we need follow through, mm. and follow through we need um, completion, mm. and from completion we need to have some celebration mm. and see how people how the active driver gets destroyed. Sometimes the active driver is, is almost completely intact except for one little piece mm. of the mental move of the, of the active driver. Mm. So they might have autonomy, they might have initiative, but we never follow through. Mm. Or we might have follow through and we might have celebration, but we don't have completion. So we get people that are doing some follow through, but they right at the point of completion, mm. I, That's a different thing because a lot of times people can follow through and follow through, but they'll make sure they never complete their project. Okay. Mm. So the active driver is being damaged at the, at the edge okay. of completion. Mm. See? And sometimes we get people that'll celebrate even though they don't follow through. They'll come up with an idea, they'll run out and celebrate, nothing ever gets done. Oh, and they just yeah, yeah. Okay. Between mm. idea and celebration, idea and celebration, and nothing happens, mm. right? So what we need mm. to do is have a complete and intact active driver. Mm. Uh, for it to function for us in a healthy way for every developmental level. Mm. 
Right. This is this is interesting, and this this was the reason I, I was mentioning NLP because NLP uh, claims to to heal very rapidly, and mm -hmm. can do so because the map which uh, it, it is using is so precise with the speech patterns. And what you're mm -hmm. what you're telling me, it sounds to me like um, you you have like a, a high probability of healing because your map which you're using is so differentiated that mm -hmm. that it looks like magic from the outside. But right. it's exactly. very logical from the inside. It's very logical from the inside, mm. yeah. So when we do these experiences with clients, you know, they heal so much and they're healing one little thing and all of a sudden their whole life transforms. They're going, how did my life transform? Mm. It feels like magic. Mm. It does. Mm. But it's very logical. It's no magic at all, really. Mm. But it does feel that way to people. Interesting. So, do do you have like a, a, a specific uh, shamanistic background? Do you study? As you mentioned, that you uh, studied shamanism uh, in various countries and, and times. No, not in various countries. Okay. I studied it academically, okay. cross-culturally. Okay. But I did live with a, a shaman for a period of time, a local shaman uh, from the Flathead Indian Reservation, uh, uh, Salish. And I lived with him for a period of time, and he taught me some things. But again, you know, I'm not sure that that was even the most powerful impact of shamanism because, again, you're dealing with the cultural manifestations mm. of shamanism, not the underlying uh, functional elements of it. So, yeah, I got to experience that in context, and I think that that was very valuable and everything. Mm. But I think that... Um, understanding that underlying thing is the underlying dynamic of human consciousness mm. as is seen shamanically around the world or psychotherapeutically around the world, getting below the cultural blanket, getting below the developmental blanket, understanding the underlying dynamics below that, that, that okay. bring these all into manifestation. Mm. This is actually a causal and subtle thought process to even think like this in a way, because you're, you're really saying that it's these underlying energetics in a way mm. that are driving all of this stuff, bringing it into manifestation. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, okay. In real, but you, mm -hmm. Yeah, go ahead. <laughs> no, no, but you're a licensed psychotherapist, so can can you tell us something about that background of yours? So where 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 do you come from originally? So what? Yeah, I come from Montana. I was born and raised on a farm <laughs> in Montana with my sister Terry. <laughs> and, uh, but uh, I went to school at various schools. My undergrad is in cultural anthropology, okay. actually. Mm -hmm. And then I got to participate in a really interesting uh, master's program in, in counseling, which combined sociology, psychology, social work, and education. Okay. Uh, into one master's program for mm. psychotherapy. Mm. Uh, so we actually took classes from each one of those departments. It's not like we we're wrapped up in one department. We took classes from the psychology department and we're right alongside with the master's and PhD level people there. And we were doing it the same with the social work department, mm. with the education department, with the sociology department. Mm. We, that was all combined within an overall structure. So the, the actual training is this very broad, diverse Uh, conceptualization mm. of, of the human process and of the human dynamic and mm. with my writing anthropology then cross-culturally too mm. so I feel really blessed to have had that um, type of training okay how many years of practice uh, did you did you enjoy since since now uh, till now let's see uh, <laughs> let me count that I think we're looking at uh, 30-some years now oh, of practice. Mm. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a lot, lot of time. Hmm? 
Yeah. Yeah. Before that, I was uh, uh, actually an Outward Bound instructor doing mountaineering work. You, you, I'm sorry, you were what? Uh, I was an Outward Bound instructor for the International oh, okay. Outward Bound Schools. Mm. And they actually do a lot of uh, kind of psychology stuff too. Like, um, uh, So my work even before that had a lot to do with the human consciousness and how we how we act. But this was in an outdoor mountaineering leadership okay. mm -hmm. uh, work. And so we would do a lot of things like, okay, this is what you need to survive. Mm. We're going to take away uh, 40% of those elements, right? Interesting. You're going to get a little bit in each category. Mm. You know, How are you guys going to arrange these in a way that's going to help you survive? So they have to go through this real teamwork process. Mm. They don't get to just work it out individually now because, you know, Interesting. individually mm. each one of them would die, mm. right? So they have to work as a team to figure out how to combine these resources mm. in a way that really works. Well, and, uh, of course, it's all under supervision, so it's safe and everything. But mm. How long did so you do this? I did this for a few years, yeah. Okay. Mm. So, yeah. And so there's all these different fun little dynamics that we did as we worked with humans and uh, individually and collectively. I in can imagine. Consciousness. That must, yeah. must have been a mess sometimes. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes we gave them good training and good education first, and then we then we let them use their creativity, you know. Mm. And so there was always that dynamic between the egoistic, individualistic who wanted to have all the answers themselves, and mm. the collective saying, "Well, the collective wisdom that had come out and say, well, what about this and what about that?" And mm. It was interesting, and actually, almost every time it worked out amazingly well. Okay. But there were times where it didn't, but we were there for them mm. if it did. And what? What is driving you, like from from when you when you observe your history and the the momentum, um, which which uh, with your approaching the world, what is the the uh, just just passion of growth, just passion of discovery mm. of the new, you know, as we move into this into these new spaces of consciousness, it's it's just fascinating and wonderful and blissful and mm. and and. Um, I think I learned uh, some time ago that we can either go in headlong, dive into it with passion, or pain and suffering will mm. make us go there, right? Mm. You know, or we get locked into cycles of pain and suffering and never get out. But mm. um, we can go if we if we dive in, feet first, all we can, and go for it. You know, mm. it can become a passionate journey of life, mm. which is just unfolds delightfully in front of us. And if we resist it, then uh, suffering and pain will will cycle in through us a lot. And mm. uh, that will either drive us to change or drive us into more rigidity mm. to try to protect ourselves more. Mm. So for me, it's it's this passionate journey moving forward into more and more openness and empathy and exploration. And Yes. Now, I was just recently I was uh, thinking a lot about about growth and evolution uh, of the consciousness in terms of uh, um, drug use, ayahuasca mm -hmm. and and all this mm -hmm. stuff. There's a guy, Graham Hancock, I, call, I think is his name. He argues that that the use of ayahuasca and those drugs um, produced the consciousness uh, 40,000 years ago. We now experience and describe as human consciousness. Um, before uh, our, our human body uh, is like uh, basically the same since 200,000 years ago. So something happened when, when the first cave drawings started to appear and he argues that, okay, the people were taking lots of drugs 
And and similarly, like in the 60s, 70s, when there was this major cultural shift and everyone was taking LSD and mushrooms and uh, marijuana and and produced like another shift, you know. And mm -hmm. so, so there are a lot, a lot of... Um, Ways to, to think about it, and I, I was wondering how how um, yeah how do you think about not recreational drug use, but I could say evolutionary drug use with DMT or something like this. Well, <clears throat> I wouldn't say that. From a shamanic perspective, I mean there are some like the 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 cults that that get involved in in chronic use of of drugs to. Mm produce states. But one of the classic forms of, of using drugs, which I would adhere to if you were going to use a drug, would be if you use a drug, you use it once, mm. and then your job is to figure out how to recreate that consciously without mm. it. Otherwise, you're fostering dependency. Mm. And if you're fostering dependency, you're not fostering personal growth and strength. Mm. You're not finding your own empowerment. Mm. And that leads to two different cycles that we can look at. We can look at the health cycle, and we can look at the addiction cycle, or, mm. or the, uh, the yeah. And addiction isn't necessarily a chemical addiction. It, it's it's any avoidance mechanism or anything that doesn't lead to personal empowerment. So what happens then is, if we take a look at the uh, um, the unhealth cycle, I'll just call it just mm. to give it a clarity. Mm. Uh, what we do is we. Uh, might have a, a difficult situation and we might say, oh, let's, it, it, we have a, um, a, a comfort zone. Mm. We've got an upper end of the comfort zone and a lower end of the comfort zone. Mm. So let's say an experience uh, leads us to going below our comfort zone. Mm. Uh, we have two different choices there. I can use a, some kind of a mechanism to mm. bring me up, right, mm. without learning. Mm such as a drug or excessive exercise or overeating or anything. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and that'll bring me up. But of course, next time that same type of an issue comes up, I haven't learned anything. Mm. So I'm going to crash again. Mm. And now a new event comes along, which is similar. And now I've got two different things, mm. right? Each time I take that dip and come back up, it takes more of my addictive, addictive cycle, whatever it is, chemical, not chemical, mm. to get up higher, and I keep going lower. So what we have is a general trend that goes downward. Mm. If I take the health cycle, what I do is the tough issue comes up, and it gets below my comfort zone. I go in, I feel it even deeper, mm. even though it's comfortable. Mm. But by going into it even deeper, I learn, I grow, I find lessons in the mud, so to speak. Mm. I dig up the treasure in the depth of the bottom of the lake, mm. and I come up above. Now with new wisdom and new power, I know that I can handle that situation. Mm. I know I can handle it without employing the addictive cycle. Mm. And so the next time an event like that comes along, I know what to do. I might mm. get a little blip, but I don't crash mm. again, right? So now that happens two or three times. I've got that stabilized, and a new event comes along that's different, mm. and that puts me below my comfort zone. I'm not double up on the old issue because mm. the old issue is resolved. I've got it figured out. Mm. Now I've just got the one issue to handle. Mm. I dive in deeper, learn the lesson from that, and it brings me up even higher. Mm. And so we get as a general trend moving higher and higher. Mm. And, and my clients see this happen all the time. I tell them, you know, in the first two or three sessions, you know, at some point your low is going to be higher than what your high used to be. Okay. Mm. 
And, and sure enough, I hear that over and over, you know, with people saying, wow, you know, I had this event happen and I crashed and, but my low was higher than what my higher used to be. Hmm. And one woman, I, it was so beautiful. She said, you know, my best time used to be when I would smoke pot. Hmm. And so she was going along. She was doing really well. She decided, I'm going to smoke pot just because I want to. And she smoked pot. She said, oh, my God, that was uh, my low off of pot now is mm. higher high Interesting. on. Interesting. Mm. Yeah. Now, when we go back to talking about drugs and using it as a psychological tool as opposed to uh, uh, an addictive cycle, we have mm. to be really careful because most people are probably using it as a part of the addiction cycle. Probably. They're not really gaining power. They're probably using it as an avoidance of something, mm. especially if you're using it more than once. There's probably, if you're using it like every week or every month or something, you're probably in an addictive cycle. Mm. I'm not going to say you are. It's not for me to say over the air whether all these people are or not. Mm. But chances are, because if I was really gaining power from it, I would use it one time and I would be able to learn, I would go back and learn how to reproduce that in my own mind with my own power, with my mm. own consciousness, and I wouldn't be dependent on something external mm. anymore. Mm. So looking at now is an external locus of control versus an internal locus of control. Mm. Do I have power over my consciousness with an external locus of mm. control, which is the addictive cycle, or whether over an internal mm. locus of control, which is the health and power cycle, mm. right? And so that's how I would look at the use of ayahuasca and other things. If you yeah, want to use yeah. it mm -hmm. and learn and grow from it, great. But if you're using it over and over and over, chances are you're in an addictive cycle. Yeah, the, the problem is that, um, um, that I can imagine that you're even with meditation can get into an, an addictive – I wouldn't use the word addictive, but the, the effect – When, when you are mm -hmm. in deep meditation and, and experience some form of, of ecstasy or, or bliss or something, this mm -hmm. is an addictive in, a, in, a, in the same way. You know, it's like, okay. Beautiful. I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because uh, that's where I said addiction cycle isn't necessarily a chemical external mm. drug addiction. Mm. Uh, we see this with running all the time. Somebody has a problem, mm. they go out and they go for a run. Well, mm. running is healthy for you, but we're using running to avoid a psychological issue. Mm. Yeah. And that's what we see a little bit with kind of like some people maybe call it spiritual bypass or different things like mm. that. I mm. have an emotional issue, I run to meditation and avoid mm. issue mm. rather than going into it, dealing with it, coming out more powerful, and then using that to make my meditation even more powerful and expand mm. my consciousness even more. Mm. And so if we're using as an avoidance tool, mm. then yeah, you're going to hit somewhat of an addictive cycle with it. Mm. It's not going to have the power that it would otherwise have mm. than if you actually grow from each lesson that comes into us and use that to infuse the power of mm. the meditative practice. Yes. Yeah, um, I, but, but I think like the, it's, it's a fine line because I think at some point or sometimes you have to go deeper into meditation to, to figure some stuff out. You know, it's a fine line. Uh, one side it can get addictive and on the other side it can be an evolving process. I don't Absolutely. know. Okay, so, so. And, and this is what, I, what I'm thinking about drugs as well. It's like, okay, with, I, I never have taken DMT. I would like to, but I don't know where to get my hands on this stuff. But, but, yeah. but what I've read and there's this movie Spirit Molecule. So the experience what you have is so far out from what you experience normally uh, as reality or the, the mind, so that, mm -hmm. that, that it's um, fairly complicated to produce um, these states uh, when you're not taking the drug only by using it once. So I think, okay, um, 
Maybe it can be useful to, to have a time where you can experiment with this in a healthy way. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, I don't know. I, I never did this and probably I never will, but it's just like a, like, like a, like a thought. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I think that's the argument that's been used for drug use for millennia, you know, for <laughs> at least. <laughs> now it's a, if I keep using it, that it's somehow it's going to make me more conscious, and, and the research doesn't show that very well, actually, but okay. it's a fine argument, and, and there might be an application for that argument. Mm-hmm. I'm not saying there isn't, you know. Okay. It's not really my strength, and I don't want to say a whole lot about it, but that's just my overall concept is that generally people who are using drugs regularly find a, a consciousness excuse or reason or justification for it, and um, if it's truly making them more powerful, more power to them. But no, I, I for don't, the most I, part, if it's an external locus of control, it's probably not. I don't want uh, to advocate it to to, to use it like regularly. I, I didn't want to, to to mean this to say this, but but yeah. I'm imagining. Okay, you take a DMT for example, or what what not? You take it once and you have an experience which is so deconstructing in a way. And and to achieve this via meditation or by other natural means or just by being aware, I, I can imagine this this could be quite complicated. So I, I don't want to advocate do it every day. Don't get me wrong. You know, it's like um, may, may, I, I'm just thinking about a a, a way of, of doing drugs which, which is not conflict avoiding, which is not recreational, which is like okay, um, there is like a, um, a momentum some. Um, some way uh, when you use it um, w- which can be healthy. I don't know that way and I don't know if it even exists but uh, I'm just pondering about this. Yeah, and there might be. There might be. I wouldn't argue uh, that I wouldn't argue against anything totalitarian mm. like that. You know, I'm sure that somebody can figure out a way to do this on a regular basis and, mm. and make it as a growth thing. Mm. I would say that most people are probably engaged in the addictive cycle because mm. that's what historical research would say. Mm. And there's always been a new wonder drug that's supposed to be opening up consciousness, oh, which we later find out is destroying brain cells, and, and basically you're dealing with attrition of the brain rather than higher states of consciousness. Mm. Um, and, of course, we even get that even at death as the brain starts decaying away. People mm. can go into a high state. They can go mm. into a a deconstructed state, but of course the brain is being deconstructed literally, physically too. So mm. um, sometimes that can be, um, uh, depending upon the way our consciousness is around, that can become blissful. Mm. I think Aldous Huxley t- took a lot of LSD on his deathbed. No, what's that? <laughs> Aldous Huxley took a lot of LSD on his deathbed. Yeah. So I wonder yeah. what, what his experience was. Right. Like. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So well, my expertise is not in the use of do, using drugs or doing drugs. My expertise is in um, helping people achieve higher states of consciousness without using drugs. Mm-hmm. And people do go through very, very vast, fairly rapidly often, mm-hmm. uh, changes in consciousness. And with this new technology that we have, I'm saying, you know, probably don't need the drug. There's a lot that you can do to expand consciousness now mm-hmm. with the psychological, spiritual technology that we have that we didn't have before. Mm. And we can actually get to very broad consciousness places, uh, deconstructed places that are completely revolutionary Mm. uh, without things that might be potentially damaging us. Mm. And so that's more my expertise. That's what my passion is. That's what my love is. It's about developing the skills on an internal uh, basis versus an external basis. Mm. 
had to do that in a fairly rapid, efficient, and effective manner mm. that opens us to higher states of consciousness uh, or broader states of consciousness. I mean, we have height and we have breadth, and both of those are important. Yes. No, I wholeheartedly agree to this, and I, I wouldn't say different. I, I was just thinking about how um, this way of thinking and what what we are doing, what what you are doing, and and mm -hmm. and um, this all, uh, even what Wilbur is doing, that all of this um, wouldn't be um, possible, and all this thinking wouldn't be possible if if there wouldn't uh, weren't some some freaks in the in the 60s, 70s, Timothy Leary, for example, who uh, advocated like the the evolution of the nervous system on one side and advocated drug use on the other side, and the whole culture who um, thought turning on uh, uh, the mind and the consciousness, and and so so in my view, it's like all all is very independent from from a cultural view. Now, of course, it it would be healthier to do this without drugs, but you know where I'm going. It's like we're coming from I think some. You say that you think that the cultural revolution wouldn't have occurred without drugs. And I'm saying that I think that the cultural revolution would have occurred regardless of the drugs. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I think that our consciousness is evolving, and mm. there are many cultures that have uh, gotten fascinated with consciousness mm. without necessarily using the drugs. I think that the 60s is a very interesting period of time um, where probably 20% of the population was truly moving towards exploring higher states of consciousness mm. where we're looking at egalitarian civil rights, mm. uh, rights of the sexes and genders and, mm. and stuff like that. But there was a great many people that were just going along for the ride that were doing drugs, sex, course, rock yeah. and roll. And that's, that's what it was for them. Right. Oh, mm. And so, but they hopped on the theme or the meme of, you know, uh, equal rights and stuff like that. But how much was actually acted out in practice? How many of these people were actually not living it mm. in their personal lives, but advocating it intellectually while mm. just engaging in drug, sex, rock and roll? So I, I'm not sure that the, you know, I, I don't want to undermine that some people use drugs, did fantastic thought processes that helped us to learn new things. But there are a lot of people that didn't too that were helping. Of course, of course. Yeah. Of course. So co coming back to you, to your work, um, I mean, you you work with 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 uh, people who got drug addiction. I, I read um, that you do symbolic reconstructive therapy. So yeah. I, I have no fucking clue what this is. Can you? I made it up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is a technique that I've I've been working on and creating for about uh, 20 years now. I got it started out working with PTSD really, and I thought. I work on a Native American reservation where PTSD is rampant, okay. and I was basically the only full-time psychotherapist uh, in private practice there uh, for quite a, quite a period of time. And there's no way to heal PTSD in a standard way. And get okay, it. just for the German listeners, PTSD is post-traumatic stress syndrome? No? Yes. Okay, yes. this is like uh, what war veterans and, and people in shock uh, sometimes yeah, experience. People mm -hmm. that get sexually abused or raped mm -hmm. as children or people that are severely abused as children. Mm -hmm. That's more the situation that was happening here on the res was a great deal of physical abuse, mental abuse, sexual abuse mm -hmm. occurring um, uh, from a damaged culture uh, when we went in and, and basically stripped their culture away from them. Mm -hmm. And so there was a lot of people coming in with PTSD, and I just had so much compassion. I just, you know, it takes, you know, six months or so with standard psychotherapy to resolve mm. PTSD and sometimes years. And even then, sometimes it's not resolved. So I, was, I just 
felt so much passion, compassion for these people that I wanted to have uh, discover a, a solution to PTSD that mm. operated a lot faster. Mm. And so I developed this technique called uh, that I've called symbolic reconstruction therapy. Mm. Which, which brings, again, below the cultural blanket. It's a combination of psychotherapy and shamanism okay. and uh, some stuff that I just kind of figured out on my own. Hmm. And uh, I started getting astounding results very quickly okay. um, with these people. And uh, I remember one of the first women that I worked with, uh, I had maybe five sessions with her. Hmm. And, she, and she came back and said, I'm, I, I'm glad that I was sexually abused now because I would have never come to you if it wasn't for that, and I wouldn't be feeling what I'm feeling now. Well, uh, mm. You know, when you get those kind of responses from people that have been sexually abused just mm. five weeks ago or six weeks ago, mm. uh, you know you're on to something. That's just not a common response, mm. um, to be grateful for the experience because of what came out of it. Well, and, and so she was just and – so and she also fired me <laughs> because she said, I'm better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and I've got a life to live. My life is so full and so rich now. I don't have time for psychotherapy. And she was off and running, right? So um, <laughs> one problem solved, another one created. <laughs> yeah, I was just thinking of self-sabotaging your own work, work by being successful. So, <laughs> Yeah. Fortunately, there was a lot of people with PTSD. So it's been, you know, uh, my reputation has really grown. And, and so I just have a lot of people coming in. So, yeah. PTSD can be resolved very quickly, you know, once you understand how to do it. And and then I started going to works with PTSD. What about other things? What about depression? What about anxiety? What about um, drug addiction? Mm-hmm. And so I started uh, generalizing this to other issues and having also phenomenal results. People that have been on uh, antidepressants for 25, 30 years, people are saying they're lifers and getting off of them in six months and, and feeling alive and happier than they've ever felt in their life. Mm-hmm. Same with anti anxiety medications and also with drug use now it's not a hundred percent nothing is a hundred percent and I don't want to pretend that this is a miracle cure mm. for people that it works for they it does feel like a miracle mm. you know but I'm, I'm I'm only batting at about um, 73 percent success rate wow. you know but considering that standard psychotherapy isn't that high on any of these issues it's, it's but, I, but I must confess I didn't this is pretty good yes but I must must confess that I didn't uh, yet uh, 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 understand that or to grasp the f- concept of this type of therapy, you know, like um, can can you elaborate on this, which is, which is like the main concept, the main, the core so to speak of, of The of core this. concept is that our mind creates constructions mm. based upon our experiences mm. and there are ways to deconstruct those and reconstruct those in new ways that leads to ecstasy, spiritual enlightenment aliveness, uh, broader states of consciousness, higher states of development or broad, more stable states of consciousness within the developmental level that the person is in already that leads them to um, be driven forward with passion rather than you, hiding from you, uh, destruction and pain. Are you talking about context reframing, that you that you go with a client into, uh, into the original experiences and frame it differently, or how do I have to understand this? Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I don't want to steal your, your thoughts, and, yeah. but, but I, 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 it's interesting. Hmm? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's similar to that. It's just doing it in a. It's just got its own technique, and, and I don't feel comfortable expressing it over the air because there's a. I'm doing a training program with it, and okay. there's so much complexity to it, in some ways, mm. because you have to be able to make accurate assessments about what you're doing because there's multiple styles of innuendos of the technique mm. as you go into the process with the person, mm. and just like any tool that's powerful. Mm. like a hammer can be used for damage as well as for help, right? I understand. Okay. And so if you have a tool that is that effective, that fast for PTSD, for 
for depression, for anxiety. Um, <clears throat> that that tool can also be used if it's used inappropriately, inadvertently, or purposefully. Mm -hmm. It can be used for equal level of destruction. No, so okay. so um, that needs to be trained in very clearly. Okay, but in general terms, so so general terms, we're gen we're we're adjourning below the cultural blanket to the underlying dynamic or constructions that a person is making consciously and subconsciously and we're uh, reconstructing those symbolically reconstructing those in a new way that opens up the field of consciousness okay mm -hmm. okay <laughs> <laughs> but for the client it's just it's just a process they go through because mm -hmm. you lead them through it mm -hmm. you know it, it's actually a co-led process it's, it's it's actually kind of difficult to explain exactly how it works it's more of something you have to experience but the client uh, it's, it's very simple for the client, really. Mm -hmm. But the, the practitioner needs to take the responsibility of making sure they're doing it in a skillful way. Mm -hmm. yeah. Will you communicate about this? Will you write a book about this? Or, or? Well, I'm certainly going to start a training. I've, I've worked with a, a lot of people that are healers, and they're saying that, that this is the most amazing healing process that they've ever seen or witnessed, mm -hmm. and it's trained in itself. Mm -hmm. I'm working with uh, developing a certification program for it uh, so that people can get trained in it. And, and get it out there. I, I would like to, to learn more about this because I find all, all the stuff I find very interesting, be it transactional analysis or, or NLP or, mm -hmm. or uh, Virginia Sate or all this stuff. I, yeah. I like it yeah, I like yeah. it a lot because it's like it's like magic. You know, you yeah. you, you lead it's somebody. <laughs> yes, oh, no, it is. I, I, even yeah, the book from Ben Bentler, it's called... basic and logical when it comes down to it. No, you know, but, the um, book of Bentler and Brinder are called The Structure of Magic. Yeah. yeah, so it's yeah. like it's practical <laughs> magic and all that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's fascinating, okay. isn't it? Okay. Mm -hmm. So, but uh, but you will present this this uh, technique at least a little bit uh, when when you're coming to Europe. Or, or? No, we're doing it in Europe. We're actually working we're, we're working with more of the first part of the technique, not the symbolic reconstruction therapy, but okay. we're dealing with a stages model and how can be used in psychotherapy, okay. which is a whole other thing, which actually can be combined very well. Mm. But first of all, we're just getting the, the stages and the underlying consciousness drivers that you can use either to accentuate your higher edge mm. or to heal your, your trailing edge or to make more robust in your middle. Okay. okay. So what we can do now with the consciousness um, parameters is we can actually understand what exactly we what specifically we need to address to move us to higher states of consciousness, what mm. specifically we need to address to heal uh, a trailing uh edge and the drivers that need to be healed mm. and also how to make us more robust in the middle so it's more stable and strong mm. and by understanding the developmental parameters and drivers we can do that in a much more efficient way mm. what's happened a lot of times is we will pick out therapies or if we're spiritual leaders pick out spiritual practices that are our favorites but are not mm. necessarily the best one for our client right mm. Um, and it's so easy to do because we're so wrapped up in fascination of how how great this works for us and how great it's worked for several people that we've used it on that we tend to have this bias towards our favorite, mm. right? But that's not necessarily assessing what our client needs. Sometimes mm. it's over their head and mm. they can actually feel a sense of failure because they aren't using it or it can be actually below them. And, and But since we're in a position of power, a position of authority, they will keep trying to use it even though it's dragging them backwards a little bit. Mm. So it's really important for us to be able to assess in the moment where our clients are. And that's the beautiful thing about stages because since we're looking at the parameters, mm. once we understand the parameters and the configuration of the parameters, mm. we can see the basic development in the moment while we're working with the client. Mm. 
we can go, oh, we can see not only the basic level of development, but we can start observing the parameter, the drivers, the, the building blocks themselves, how they're operating with that particular person. Mm. And sometimes instead of just using a huge psychotherapeutic technique, which is kind of cumbersome sometimes, mm. we can just do a small tweak on a specific consciousness driver and the whole thing will just start clearing mm -hmm. up and moving forward. And that's more of what we're going to be presenting at the European mm. Conference. Beautiful work um, informed by the stages model of Dr. Terry O'Fallon. Mm. Would, you, would you say that your therapeutic approach is a, a constructive way, a approach to psychotherapy, like to, to go into that Uh, mindset and and uh, yes, it's definitely yeah. post construct okay. aware. Okay, interesting. So yeah, mm. but you don't have to be post construct aware to be trained in how to use it and to be effective. Did say, so did you say post uh, construct aware? Or what did you say? Yeah, you don't have to be construct aware or okay. above okay. to be able to be trained in the program mm. and utilize efficiently with your clients. Okay. Mm. Um, you don't have to be that because the the process is very well mapped out at this point. Mm -hmm. Just like people use Gestalt therapy, which is really more of a 4.0 green type of intervention, but mm -hmm. you could be a very skilled 3.5 practitioner who's mastered mm -hmm. you know, the, the Gestalt technique and can mm -hmm. actually use it very effectively. Mm -hmm. right? So you can use techniques that are really designed by people above your developmental level, and, but you can bring them into your practice by learning the technique very skillfully mm -hmm. and applying it. This is uh, what, what I'm, I'm thinking about is um, that what, uh, what you're describing is like uh, uh, therapy and the spiritual experience, the spiritual way that they're converging. In a way. People, don't, they people don't have to come to you, for example, because they have PTSD or, or some anxiety, but uh, if it's a, a, a constructive way or technique, they, they can come for basically anything to, to, right. to, to, to open up and to, to have new experience and to, to enrich their lives. Mm -hmm. So, so, that's so what people come to me from is actually for that leading edge expansion. Okay. So I get a lot of that, you know. But also the people that come for their trailing edge for their shadow issues not only get the shadow issue result, but also get the expansion. Oh, interesting. Okay. So they they feel there's something missing, and they don't know what exactly. And you 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 map all the mm -hmm. stuff out, and then you can say, okay, I'm, I'm, we do this, and then we are, you will be better after afterwards. So how can I? I don't say that, but yes. <laughs> <laughs> this is this is quite interesting. So so it is. Con, con, converging of, of spiritual experiences and therapy. It's like That's it's right. great. Mm -hmm. Yeah, because there's no point in doing psychotherapy to just heal. Mm. You might as well do psychotherapy to heal and launch a spiritual passion. Mm. Wow, this Or is great, man. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> there's no point in stopping, right? That's good. This is really good. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Yeah. So what we do is we have this broad concept of the entire developmental spectrum. Mm. And so we can watch that whole spectrum shift as, mm. as we move. As a lot of times what, what, so what we can do is we move into the shadow element or the trailing edge of the, the developmental spectrum of each individual. Because each mm. individual isn't at one stage, of course. You know, we go operate off a broad range of stages. Mm. We can watch those trailing edges and we heal those trailing edges. If we go into shadow or the unconscious and we heal what's broken there, what's damaged or what's hurt, mm. that infuses the power and energy to, to uh, the whole spectrum dynamic of their development. And you'll see the whole spectrum shift up a developmental stage. Oh. Mm. Oh, if, if you do it right. If you do it right. Mm. So, but then, 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 of course, you have to have some intuition and some experience and different kind of uh, types of psychotherapy to 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 access this. And because what you're saying is, um, you, um, how do I say this? Yes, uh, you're right. There has to be multiple styles, multimodal therapy. You have to have mm. multiple 
styles that cover a range of developmental yeah, yeah, exactly. stages. Because if I'm working with a client in the moment and something heals and all of a sudden uh, they were talking about originally like a 1.5 shadow issue, mm. now all of a sudden they're talking about a 4.0 and they're leading into 4.5, a green meme or, or up. Mm. Uh, I need to be able to shift with that in the moment and go, what's the next step for healing exactly. or for growth, right? Mm. And I can see that. And a lot of times when we're not, when we're at the level of the culture, uh, we're not seeing those those uh, new, those uh, those micro moves shifts mm. in the practice underneath the thing. Where, you know, they're still talking about family, they're still talking about whatever, mm. but all of a sudden you're seeing that they're talking about it from a completely different place. You know, they're ready to launch now into more of a leading edge work rather than trailing edge work. But if we're not aware of the way parameters have changed, parameters, we can keep beating a dead horse, so to speak. We can keep going back to the traumas that we need to be doing out when mm. actually we're driving them backwards now. We need to move them forward. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you have to change your own paradigms and your own techniques while you're doing this. And this is In a moment, that's mm. right. Okay. Yeah. You mentioned people go from a 1.0, like a, a, your very first day, shadow issue. And then in in one session, progress through four, five, six different stages, end up in a construct aware, open field place they'd never been before. Okay. All in one session. People can shift very rapidly when that happens. It's not always now, but it's, mm. people can shift very rapidly. And if you're watching the nominal drivers make the shifts, you can just follow right with them. Now you're not dragging them backwards, okay. thinking that you're still doing shadow work. Mm, yeah, yeah, yeah. This is awesome. So you, um, um, you do this uh, in your practice, but but I've read you do this via via Skype as well, or did I get this mm, wrong? Okay. All over the world. Okay. Via Skype. Mm -hmm. So so or, they they can go to your website and say, okay, I uh, I want to talk to you, and can can yeah. we do a Skype session? Oh, this is cool. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. Global therapy. therapy. <laughs> Come on. Um, what what is your therapy. Com. Okay, I will I will put it on my website to that the Thank people you. can find you. Yeah, I appreciate that. Kim, we, we were uh, running so fast, so uh, I, I had my questions here, but um, I'm, we are already done. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's okay. It's a passionate exchange between two minds. <laughs> yes, and it's, I mean, it's just now it, it feels like 10 minutes. It was great. Thank you for doing this again. Thank you, Tom. Um, okay. so, it was a pleasure. For me too. I hope you have a good time in, in, in Germany when you can come in August with your with your sister mm -hmm. and have a, have a successful workshop there. Mm -hmm. Thank I you. Write, I will write it out on my on my website as well. Yeah. And what time is it at your place now? It's nine o'clock. Right now it's one four. Okay. So you have a full day ahead of you. Mm -hmm. Thank you very much for the session. Thank you, Tom. I appreciate it. <laughs> I hope we see each other again. I do too. I'm forward to it. <laughs> Thank you. Have okay. a good day. Uh -huh. Bye. -bye. Yo, it's... <laughs>